Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their fantastic hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 106. Who are you supporting this weekend? Who are you rooting for? Uh, you know, maybe you're not watching NFL at all and you've sworn it off. That's cool if you've done that. I've still watched it some. I'm recording this a couple weeks in advance, so I can't even begin to predict who's even in the Super Bowl. Now, for my wife's sake, I'm kind of hoping that it's the Browns. Um, I know that that's a very long shot, especially since they have to get back past the Chiefs this, this weekend that I'm recording this. And I... I'm guessing that they don't do that, um, <laughs> but you never know. Stranger things have happened, and we'll see. But who are you uh, supporting? You know, outside of sports, who do you support? What do you support? A lot of times I think about sometimes, you know, Christians are kind of have this reputation of we're against a lot of things. You know, we're against this, that, the other. You know, we don't cuss, and we don't chew, and we don't talk to the girls that do. Um I don't know where that came from. But anyway, you know, we, we have all these things that we might be against or whatever, but what are you actually for? The other day I was watching TV, I was watching a hunting show, and um, it featured a program and a foundation that I thought, that is something that I want to know more about. That is something that I could support. This program takes kids who have a terminally ill disease or a very life-threatening disease and gives them the opportunity to pick a hunt anywhere that they want to go, any species pretty much that they want to hunt, and they can go and hunt and they'll help them be successful. And I just thought that is something that I would want to support. That's something I want to know more about. So I reached out to the CEO of the Catch a Dream Foundation and got a hold of a guy named Dr. Marty Brunson and invited Marty on because I wanted to hear his background, how this got started, hear some of his hunting stories, but I really wanted to hear some of these kids with special needs um, and and life-threatening illnesses. I wanted to hear their stories as well. And this episode is truly special to me because Marty did such a fantastic job. just be prepared. I tell you, I got a little teary-eyed hearing some of the stories. Incredibly miraculous hunts. Uh, you won't believe some of the stuff that happens. And Marty is just a down-to-earth, great guy, great storytelling. And he always has a lesson to go with everything that he's talking about. So uh, really want to encourage you guys, listen intently, check this out. Make sure you check out Catch a Dream uh, website, Facebook, all of that. Give them your support. And let's dive in. Here's Dr. Marty Brunson. Well, guys, it is my honor today uh, to have uh, the CEO of Catch a Dream Foundation, Marty Brunson from Starkville, Mississippi, join us on the line. Marty, how are you today? Hey, Travis, I'm good. How are you, sir? Oh, doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. What's happening down in Mississippi today? Anything exciting? Well, we're all bundled up. It's awfully cold for Mississippi right now, but uh, winter has hit us and we're in the waning stages of our annual deer season. We've got a couple of weeks left in January to chase whitetails and uh, kind of sealing things up. We're in a university town, so university started back up. So mm-hmm. small town has become crowded now. And, uh, <laughs> life is getting back to, to the fast pace that uh, often occurs in January when Mississippi State comes back into session. So oh, all right. in all, things are good and good. we're cranked up and, and hopeful for a, a new year and, a, and hopefully a different year than we had in 2020. Yeah, I tell you, 2020 was a, a definitely, a, a, for some, very difficult and others is just different. It was just a different kind of year. And so I'm hoping 2021 is a little bit different than that. So, well, I, I, I tell you, Marty, I really Absolutely. appreciate uh, you coming on. I, I think we, we talked a little bit in the intro. I was watching uh, the Drury's on TV and uh, they had uh, a featured hunt where they had uh, your program, Catch a Dream, come in, and I was just thoroughly impressed. And I thought, man, I, I need to get a hold of these guys, and, and I'm sure there's some good stories there. And so I just want to say thank you for making some time today to come on. Well, it's certainly our pleasure, Travis. We, we've had a long relationship with, with Mark and Terry Drury, and, and that's brought us a tremendous amount of exposure. And the benefits are manifest today you've given us the opportunity to share a little bit with you and and your listeners and we're very pleased about that opportunity Hmm. well marty i want to get a little bit of uh, your background and then i'd also like to get a little bit of the catch a dream foundation it it is a foundation right i'm saying that right catch a dream foundation yeah it is a foundation we are a 501c3 Mm -hmm. 
Well, tell us a little bit about you first, and then I want to get a little bit into the, the Catch a Dream and how all that got started. Okay, so we'll start with the boring part first. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in, in the deep south. I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, just about as far south in the U.S. except for Florida that you can get right on the Gulf Coast. And uh, wound up in Mississippi for education, college education, played a little baseball in college. Uh, met my wife uh, my freshman year of college and wound up marrying her about five years later. And we've been married for over 40 years now. And lots of water under the bridge, but the short, short story is uh, I thought I was going to play professional baseball. That didn't work out. Thought I'd go to medical school. That didn't work out. And wound up in graduate school and wildlife and fisheries. So I have spent my career or most of my career in the wildlife and fisheries field in university systems. I uh, finished a Ph.D. at Mississippi State in 1983, a long time ago, and took my first job at a place called LSNU. So I've been around the SEC for a little bit and uh, <laughs> worked at LSU for a few years and then took my dream job back at Mississippi State in 1988 and uh, spent the rest of my career at Mississippi State. And that's where I was in the Wildlife and Fisheries Department as a professor there. When Catch a Dream was conceived in, in the year 2000, and that's a whole nother story, but uh, I retired from Mississippi State now eight years ago this month and uh, have been doing Catch a Dream full time literally since that time mm. and am blessed to be involved in, in what I consider the greatest job in the world and the greatest program around and uh, now applying what I, I used to teach in wildlife and fisheries, now applying that to to help landowners and others make dreams come true for children. So it's a, been a neat ride and, a, and a, quite an amazing journey for me as the Lord has directed me one way or another around some hooks and crooks through a career and, and giving me the opportunity to be part of Catch a Dream now for this first 20 years of its life. Oh, wow. Wow, that's great. That is a very interesting kind of twist and turn that led you to where you are now. Now, now, Marty, did you grow up, I assume you grew up hunting uh, down there, but uh, tell us a little bit about how, you, you know, your early hunting experiences there. Yeah, I, I did grow up hunting and fishing. My dad was, was an avid fisherman and a casual hunter. I have a brother who's 12 years older than me who was an avid hunter and really taught me to hunt. Of course, uh, growing up in South Alabama when I did in the, in the 60s and early 70s, uh, deer populations were, were just not there. So most of my early life hunting was small game hunting, mostly squirrels. Uh, you know, I, I talk to people about squirrel hunting these days and I get laughed at sometimes, but <laughs> I still would submit that one of the greatest sports around is, is squirrel hunting. Yeah. And uh, I, I've said for many years that uh, we ought to take all of our children as, as they get old enough to start going to the woods and have them spend a few years squirrel hunting with a good squirrel hunter and they would learn all the woodsman skills they would ever need to become trophy deer hunters. But, mm. uh, you know, we've, we've skipped that step with our, our kids in a lot of cases. We put them in the deer stand when they're five or six years old, let them shoot a big buck, and then it's over. <laughs> but uh, I did grow up uh, chasing squirrels in the base swamps of uh, Mobile County, Alabama, and a few rabbits and shooting a quail here and there behind Uncle Tip's bird dogs. So my early life was, was small game hunting. I, I literally didn't kill a deer until I was about 15 years old. Huh. And uh, my brother took me north uh, north of Mobile, and uh, I shot a doe uh, on a on a dog hunt, and I got hooked there. And then when I got to college, I really got into deer hunting and have become an avid deer hunter, and still like to squirrel hunt. You get you ask me my favorite thing to do tomorrow morning, it would be to get up and go to the woods with my twenty two and stalk around and shoot a few bushy tails, but. Uh, yeah, I've had the privilege to do a little bit of hunting. I'm not real good at it, but I, I do enjoy spending time out there and and uh, still remember those early, early days when I'd either go to the woods with my dad or, or mostly with my, my big brother mm. and uh, sit in those old swamps and creek bottoms in Mobile County and wait for the bushy tails to start chattering. <laughs> Marty, you, t you take me back to my childhood and that was the, the very first animal I believe I was ever able to take maybe outside of a, a coon. My dad was a big coon hunter, but I remember the first hunt yeah. I actually, he took me on was a squirrel hunt. And I remember 
Um, you know, just, I loved it. It was just so exciting because those little guys running around up in the tree, it'd still get your heart, heart rate going. It was safe. And I remember the first squirrel I took, jump, he was jumping from one limb, you know, to another on another tree and I shot him in the air and he fell at my feet. You know, it was just one of those really neat experiences. I, I agree. I think, um, I think what's kind of ruined it a little bit for me is the, the season being during bow season, I got into bow hunting so heavy. I've always just been afraid to go in the woods, but I tell you, I miss it. I, I think there's, there's definitely some other places that I could go and it would be good to get back into that. I like that advice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a good squirrel hunter is one of the best woodsmen around. And again, I've, I've uh, suggested for many years that we ought to have an apprentice time with every child before they go big game hunting spends a little time small game hunting and, and learn mm -hmm. some of those skills. And I think we'd make our, our sport a far better sport. I'm going to remember that with my daughter, Ansley, she's four years old and I'm actually going to buy her a 410 this weekend. Um, you know, she's not old enough to hunt yet, but I want to go ahead and get the gun there anyway. And that might be something we start yeah. off on. That's a good idea. So, well, well Marty, uh, I think that would be a very, very wise decision. Well, thank you. <clears throat> um, I want to get back. I want to get to some of your personal stories. Uh, I want to get to that and we'll save that maybe for the ends for some of maybe your favorite personal hunts, but I definitely want to highlight uh, this catch a dream foundation. Now, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. it, how it got started and how you got involved? And then I'd like to dive into just some of your, some of those, I mean, I'm sure every story is incredibly special within it, but maybe some of those stories that are, um, you know, just kind of rise to the top for you, but we'll start with how, how did uh, catch a dream get started? Yeah, it's a pretty simple story. As, as I've already shared, I was a professor in wildlife and fisheries here at Mississippi State and really worked with the extension side of the Lane Grant University. So I was a state leader for extension wildlife and fisheries and got a call one day from a very dear friend who was a county agent down in southwest Mississippi who uh, shared with me that a, a friend of his was dying of cancer. And that friend happened to be a pretty noted outdoor writer whose name was Bruce Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, wrote an outdoor life for it seemed like a thousand years and I grew up reading his stories and some, many of our listeners probably did. Bruce was uh, in his last few weeks, couple of months of, of life dealing with esophageal cancer. When he learned that our friends at the Make-A-Wish Foundation in July of 1999 had established a new national policy that said they would no longer allow a child who qualified for Make-A-Wish to be given a Make-A-Wish grant if it involved any type of a weapon, that is bows, arrows, knives, or firearms of any sort. Hmm. Uh, that was a decision they made uh, out of uh, political pressures and, and other kinds of things that came to bear on them from the anti-hunting, the animal rights, and the anti-shooting movement. Yeah. And for them, it was a good decision because they weren't doing many hunting or shooting related trips at the time, never did. Uh, it was a very small part of the equation. But what they didn't anticipate is that this was going to resonate across the country with outdoors people like you and me and others who uh, will be listening. And there was a tremendous backlash around the country in 1999 when Make-A-Wish made that announcement. Mm -hmm. uh, many folks uh, decided to sort of abandon Make-A-Wish or, or, or go a different direction. But Bruce Brady, who was then dying of cancer, decided, you know, rather than uh, – try to bash Make-A-Wish for that decision, wouldn't it be neat if there was a program that stood in that gap? And, and Bruce, in his frailness, envisioned a concept that had no name, but it was to take these same children out in the wilds and allow them to recharge their batteries like he had recharged his for all of his life. And you and I recharge our batteries in the outdoors. Mm. So Bruce shared with this mutual friend, the county agent named Cliff Covington, his vision, and uh, as Bruce weakened, it was clear that Bruce was not going to be able to do anything physically to make something like this happen. So Cliff called me and said, hey, can we help? And I said, I don't know, Cliff, maybe. And uh, to make a long story short, it got to our director of the Extension Service here at Mississippi State. He called me and said, hey, let's see if we can help this guy. So we were scheduled to go down and meet with Bruce and talk to him about his vision. Uh, we made a telephone call in late January of the year 2000. To, uh, to talk to Bruce, and we set up a meeting for the first week of March to give Bruce some time to get back from a treatment out in Texas and recover. And that meeting never occurred because Bruce passed away on February 8th, leaving with us only an idea and a vision. But we picked up on that vision, and in his memory, 
uh, ultimately created this thing that was initially called Catch a Dream and a couple of years later became a, a foundation with one singular mission, and that is to provide the children aged 6 to 18 years old who suffer from life-threatening and terminal medical conditions the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be in the outdoors, to recharge their batteries, and to do that in a fashion such that we could share with them not just the wonders of the outdoors, but the wonders of the hope that's found in the creator of the outdoors. So we founded Catch a Dream and, and this whole effort on the premise that it's our responsibility to use our passions in hunting and fishing and our resources in hunting and fishing to share with these hurting children and families a message of good news. That is the good news that the Lord who created all these things for us loved us enough to create us in his image. And there is hope. There may not be hope for a cure for our physical ailments, but there is hope eternal. And that's the real foundational basis for this thing that has become known now as the Catch a Dream Foundation and literally has national footprint, international, because we, we serve children in Canada as well. And we're privileged to have exposures like you saw us on TV with Mark and Terry and many others. But most of all, we're in the business of changing lives and life perspective for these children and families who've been dealt very, very difficult blows with grave medical prognosis. So I'll stop there. You might have a question or two and I'll be glad to fill in any blanks. Yeah. Well, first off, I just want to say that that is incredible. I think that, um, a man's dying wish, uh, coming true and you guys pursuing that like you did and just the impact that I'm sure that you've had in, in hundreds, if not thousands of lives through doing that has to be incredibly special. And I really, like you said, the hope that we find in, in the Lord is, is beyond just, you know, hunt, hunting is great. Being in the woods is great. It recharges, but knowing the, the, the backstory behind it with our creator, that is, that's incredible. I love that. I love that mission, Marty. Um, yes, so a couple of questions. We're, we're privileged to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So how does this just, uh, from a practical standpoint, how does it work? You know, um, I don't even know how make a wish necessarily works. I assume, um, does somebody approach these families? Do you guys have to do a lot of promotion and they have to, uh, to fill out an application? How does it work for a, a kid to even begin to get on this, this list and, 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 and connect with you guys? Yeah, it's pretty simple. We, we don't do any solicitation of families by policy. You know, these families who are dealing with grave medical conditions are already being chased by a lot of folks anyway. Uh, so we don't pursue them, but we do, we do seek to make our opportunities known. And one of those ways is through the TV exposure, like you learned of us and saw, saw us. But uh, it's a simple process. We've got a pretty well-designed website. We've got some social media sites. And uh, families apply to catch a dream. So the very first step in our relationship is that that mom or dad or guardian has to submit an application to us. That can be done on paper. It can be done online. We even have a text line where they can simply text the term to apply to a certain number and get a link and everything can be done electronically. And once that application is received, uh, they give us a waiver to allow us to communicate with their medical care providers. And, and the child must be, qualifying from an age standpoint between ages 6 and 18, a U.S. or Canadian citizen, and they have to be suffering from a physician-certified life-threatening illness. So we communicate with their physician to determine what the, what the issue is, what the limitations are, what the special considerations may be, uh, special precautions, and, and the child's capacity to participate in what they've asked to do. And if they indeed are dealing with a life-threatening medical condition, have not had another hunting or fishing wish grant, which is a newer requirement we put in since some other organizations have, have popped onto the scene, then we don't say no. We make their dream come true if it's, one, feasible for them, legal and appropriate, age-appropriate and so forth. Uh, we set about making a, a dream experience come true, and we include the entire family, mom, dad, if there is a mom and a dad, and, and siblings in the same household, we make it a family affair and we cover every single penny of every expense from the time they walk out their front door until they walk, walk in the door back home. Mm. We do all the logistical planning. We do all of the financial arrangements. Mom and dad can leave home knowing that they're going to be taken care of, treated like kings and queens, and their family's going to have an experience that is carefree and expense-free. 
And that gives us the opportunity then to put them in some places, Travis, that you and I would just drool about being <laughs> with hunting or fishing opportunities. And I may never be able to hunt and fish those places, but these children and their families get to experience those things. And in that context, then we are able to share with them this good news, the message of the hope. Uh, long, long ago, we decided to catch a dream needed a theme verse. And that verse is, found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31. It's verse that's familiar to a lot of people. It talks about soaring on the eagle's wings, but it says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. And that's the promise that we cling to and that we want to share with these children and families, that if our trust and our faith is in the creator who put that deer or that turkey or that alligator or that shark out there for us to enjoy. If we trust in the creator, not in the animal, not in the experience, not in the pleasures, then we'll renew our strength. We will soar on eagle's wings and there will be an eternity uh, assured for us. So it's, it's been quite a phenomenal thing for us to be able to reach out and touch. Most of these families are not expecting what they get in the context of the trip. Most are expecting to go on a hunting trip and, you know, catch, kill, chill, and, and eat kind of deal. But uh, they repeatedly give us the feedback after the fact that this was a thousand times more than we ever expected. And this was life changing. So we, mm. we have those evidences that the program is having the impact that we would, uh, would like it to have. Uh, we, in turn, are then blessed, as are many other people blessed, by the spillover and the gratification of knowing that we're doing something that's truly worthwhile short and long term so it's it's been quite a quite a trip for us oh man that sounds good well marty i i'm sure that there's been a lot of stories and this is a hunting stories podcast so i want to i want to dive in to are there any of those stories maybe some um i don't know maybe some of the first ones that you're able to help or some that just kind of stand out to you um um, I'm sure each of them have their own kind of significance, but any stories along those lines that just kind of stand out to you as just something that was meaningful to you or, or something that you'd care to share? Yeah, there really are. And again, you mentioned some of the first experiences. We've had an awful lot of neat things occur with all these hundreds of trips we've done. But in the very early days, I had the privilege of being on, on a trip with one of these children. He happened to be eight years old. His name was Joe. And he was paralyzed from the neck down. He had an accident when he was just a year or two old. And he literally was on a, on a feeding tube, a heart machine, and a respirator all at the same time in a wheelchair. But he dreamed of hunting white-tailed deer. Uh, obviously, a child who can only move his head is going to have a tremendous number of limitations. But uh, we had a particular ranch where we thought we could pull this off. And uh, his family traveled from Florida to Missouri. And I happen to have the privilege of being the host, that volunteer that was, was with that particular child on that trip. And uh, on the range, we had a, a you know, little device on Joe's wheelchair to hold a rifle. And it was a, an open-sided rifle at the time that his dad was kind of looked down from behind the wheelchair and moved the wheelchair up and down with these electronic buttons to kind of get everything just right. And then we had a little magic trigger on, on the rifle for Joe. And all he had to do was just suck on a straw and the trigger would go off. So... It's called a pneumatic trigger. They've mm. been around for quite some time. So we had this all figured out, and Joe was, was shooting well on the range. So we went to the deer stand, and it took us quite a while to get him all set up And because uh, he had, you know, the wheelchair weighs a 1,000 pounds with all these machines on it. Oh, wow. And it wasn't long before we literally had a, a shooter buck out in the field in front of us. And as our guide, the ranch owner, Bill Roller, was, was preparing Joe uh, Joe's dad was using the pneumatic uh, uh, and, and uh, hydraulic lift on his chair to kind of move the chair in position, get the rifle just right, stuck out the window. And, you know, it's a tense time. And as his dad's manipulating this wheelchair and, and Joe's getting excited and Bill's trying to tell Joe, hang on just a minute. All of a sudden the gun went off. Bam. And, and Joe started crying immediately because he had, hyperventilated just a little bit and he had sucked on that tube prematurely and oh, shot no. the gun before it was aimed before it was ready and and the position he was in at the time he wasn't even able to see the deer he was not able to look up out the window as the chair was moving what joe didn't know is he was literally crying his eyes out because he shot too soon 
is that the deer dropped in his tracks, <laughs> literally just like a stone had fallen on him. So I saw it out the window and Bill Roller, the, the ranch owner saw it and Joe's dad saw it, but Joe didn't. And Joe began to sob and he just said, he was apologizing. Oh, I didn't mean to shoot. I didn't mean to shoot. And, and Bill, a kind old man, he was then, we lost Bill this past spring, by the way, but Bill leaned over to Joe and said, well, Joe, you're the only guy in the blind here with a gun. Are you sure you didn't shoot? No, sir. I did not shoot, Mr. <laughs> Bill. I, I didn't mean to shoot. And he's, he's literally just torn up. Of course, we know the deer's dead out there at 60 yards or whatever it was. And Bill says, well, Joe, you must have shot because none of us have a gun. And the whole time, Joe's dad is, is trying to lift this chair so Joe can see out the window. So as Joe is saying, oh, I didn't shoot, I didn't shoot, the chair's coming up and Joe can begin to see out the window. And when his head got high enough to see out that little window, that blind, he saw the deer laying in the field and he went, I did, I shot him, I got him, I got him. <laughs> so he was excited and ecstatic. So anyway, we got out, we, we wheeled the wheelchair over and we took the photographs that we call the hero shots that we all are aware of. You know, clean the animal up, pose him, and we're, we're, we're there kneeled down by, by his wheelchair taking photographs. And Bill leaned over to me and said, Marty, you know, this deer is a, is a direct result of a DGB. And I said, uh, a, a what? He said, a DGB. You know what that is, don't you, Marty? I said, no, Mr. Bill, I'm not quite sure. And I didn't want to act ignorant. Because, I mean, this is the ranch owner. He knows all about deer hunting. And I'm just this, you know, this yahoo from Mississippi State would catch a dream. I wanted to sound and look like I was informed. I, I kind of said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, so you do know what that is? I said, well, maybe you should explain to me. And, and he laughed. He looked at me and he looked at Joe. He said, this, this deer is a direct result of a divinely guided bullet. You do know that gun was never actually aimed. And I said, yes, sir, I know. I said, uh, I guess it was just totally coincidental or accidentally. He said, no, sir. He said, that bullet had divine guidance. So we coined the term of divinely guided bullet on that particular hunt that afternoon. And Bill Roller was really prophetic. And we've seen neat things like that occur over the years with Catching Ring, where you think it's not going to happen or it can happen, but it does because the board does take care of those who, can't can't take care of themselves in a sense and uh, and he has blessed us in many many ways so that these children can consummate what they're there to do and their families can be blessed and we can share the good news with them so joe to this day uh keeps in touch with us he, he survived he's still paralyzed but he's now a young adult and that's one of the neatest blessings i've ever had in in, in all my life is to share that time with joe and to see joe go from absolute panic because he shot too soon to absolute euphoria because of a divinely guided bullet. And it's uh, just kind of one of those flagship stories for catching Ream and flagship story for, for old Marty here. Oh boy. I tell you that, that brought a tear to my eye. That's just incredibly special and really amazing. I mean, just, I shouldn't be surprised, you know, God, God does stuff like that all the time that we don't, we just can't explain. We don't understand. I've, I've probably had some DGBs in my own life. Uh, <laughs> But every time they yeah. take your breath away because you're like, wow, he, he is definitely able to pull off what we could never imagine. Mm. There you go. And, and it taught me, a, you know, there are a lot of life lessons there. You know, one of those is God's always in control. And I don't know if he redirected that bullet or if he just managed to make sure that that rifle happened to be at the right angle accidentally. But, you know, it does not matter. The key is the lesson there is he is in control even when we, we're not sure. Uh, when we think we're in control, uh, we're not, he is, and we just need to accept that and have faith in that. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Man. So I, I know, um, you mentioned, uh, some of the things you guys don't just do whitetails. I'm, I'm sure there's probably a lot of different species, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yes, sir. We've done, uh, we've done whitetails. We've done elk, mule deer, caribou, antelope, moose, Squirrels, rabbits, alligators, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's just on the hunting side. And then I think at last count, we'd had 90-plus uh, different species of fish had actually been caught by catching ring children. So oh we've got uh, quite a broad array. We have outfitters and charter captains from literally from the tip of Florida to Alaska. 
and, mm-hmm. and everywhere in between to help us make this happen. And they donate all their services. That's one of the neat and beautiful things about this is we don't pay those outfitters. They donate those uh, experiences to us. And then we cover all the other expenses of getting a child and family to the venue, the location. We send a very specially trained volunteer lawn that we call a host to facilitate this and be sure that, that this happens in what we call the catchy dream way. So it's, it's a really neat equation and it uh, has, has resulted in an awful lot of people being impacted, not just the children and families, but, you know, we, we mentioned Mark and Terry Drury. Uh, they would tell you right up front, and I have no, no qualm in saying for them, they would tell you that uh, after they ran into Catch a Dream about 15 years ago, the directions of their lives and, and some of the purposes in their lives even changed. Mm. And it wasn't Marty. It's the Lord working through Catch a Dream to show Mark and Terry, you know, directions that they could take. Mm. And, and many, many, many other folks have said the same thing. Uh, this, yeah. this has been a life-impacting program for a lot larger audience than we initially thought our target was going to be. And that was these, quote, sick children and families. Yeah. And people can, um, I'm, I'm guessing that people could go on your website. So if somebody heard a story like that, like me, that's kind of motivated and, and moved by it, there's probably a spot where some, and you didn't ask me to say this in any way, but uh, I sure, I'm assuming that you guys take donations to help kind of cover some of these costs that you guys work with, correct? Yeah, absolutely. As a 501c3, we live and, and function on donated monies. So Absolutely. Anyone who wants to take a look at that opportunity can just go to our website, catchdream.org, and click on the little button that says donate, and it'll show you a lot of different ways to be part of Catch a Dream. You can donate online or or, or send us a check, and, and we are 501c3, so all that is tax deductible, as they say, to the extent allowed by law. So uh, it is a, a charity in, in every sense of the word. And, and uh, everyone who makes a donation to Catch a Dream, by the way, receives a handwritten thank you card from one of our volunteers along with that tax receipt to be sure that they know that we're, we're intent upon being good stewards of the resources with which they have entrusted us. Mm-hmm. From day one, it's been my conviction and our conviction that we need to be true to our call and we need to be true to our supporters and to be accountable and to be good ex- exemplary stewards and steward is one who takes care of things that don't belong to them. And we see that these resources that people trust us with are not, they're not mine for sure. And they really don't belong to catch a dream. They belong to the Travis's and the other folks out there who give of their capacities to help us make these dreams come true and, and to shape and to impact lives in a, not just the short term, but hopefully in the long term and even in eternal perspective. So uh, thank you for bringing it up, Travis. I appreciate yeah, that. We did not discuss that. It's always a plus, but yeah. Well, I'll leave that in the lap of our listeners just to kind of think about that. If you got a little extra that you'd like to throw toward that, I'm sure Marty and the team would, would love that. And um, you know, Marty, uh, I'm sure there, like I said, there's probably a hundred more stories, but I, I, I got to ask, is there any more? Like I, I, you just got me foaming at the mouth for a few more of these stories with these kids. Cause it just, so I remember the episode I watched with the juries. Now it came back to me, it was a young man. And I, I think he missed, uh, maybe, maybe uh, missed a couple shots. So he had some struggles getting the gun settled and was kind of pretty nervous. And finally, you know, he, he connects and he gets that buck and just the excitement. I just, Love those stories. Do you have any others for us? And it doesn't have to be whitetail. We cover everything yeah, on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the episode you're talking about was just, uh, it was at Mark Drew's farm this past January, a year ago. And he didn't really, well, he did miss, but it wasn't his fault. It was a muzzleloader hunt and the muzzleloader oh, yes. misfired on mm-hmm. his first afternoon. Yeah. And then uh, he, he hunted the next morning. And, and then I think the next afternoon, uh, I actually had the pleasure of being blind with him at that time, along with Mark and, and uh, he managed to put a, a bullet in a, a beautiful, big, big southeast mm-hmm. east Iowa whitetail there on Mark's farm. And that was a miracle in itself. But uh, I guess I, there's a couple of things, one a very short one and one uh, not quite as short. But many years ago, we had a, a caribou hunt in Alaska on the Revelation Range. And, and our outfitter has told this story many times. I've told it. But here's the very short version of that. After hunting a couple of days up on the on the range there, for caribou, they finally located a, a herd of caribou and uh, got the young man in position. And literally, these animals came up within 30 yards of him. 
And for whatever reason, they couldn't pull the shot off. And the animal spooked, literally, and uh, went running off across the tundra and literally down a bluff. And, and the outfitter ultimately called me later and, and shared this story with me. He said, you know, I got up, went over that 100 yards or so to the bluff and looked down and a quarter mile and then three-eighths of a mile and then a half mile across that valley, these caribou were running away from us. And he said, my heart just sank. He said, you know, Marty, because when caribou up here spook, they don't come back. He said, they're gone. He said, I turned around to the child and his dad, and we actually had a cameraman there with them. He said, this is over. You know, we got to go somewhere else. They're gone. He said, so I told them that, and their hearts sank. And then I looked back around, and I couldn't believe my eyes. He said, these animals have turned around, and they're headed right back at us. He said, literally, we watched them come a mile back across that, that canyon, back up and right back over that ledge and up within 50 yards. One of them turned broadside, and, and Tony is the little boy's name. Tony harvested his trophy caribou. He said, Marty, that doesn't happen. Wow. He said, I can't explain it. He said, I've been guiding up here for years and years. That's never happened. I said, well, Mike, I said, you got to remember, this is catch a dream. I said, there are powers <laughs> that are above our powers. And I said, some things are just inexplicable unless you have faith. And uh, from that experience, that outfitter's life literally turned around. And I won't call him by name. I don't want to embarrass him, but his whole life and his family's life took a whole new direction because he first, for the first time realized, he said, that, you know, God's in the tundra too. And uh, God can God can have an impact. So literally the Lord turned around a herd of caribou and made them do something they never do and, and taught all of us another lesson and obviously blessed young Tony with, with what he went to Alaska to do. Uh, one of the, the very neat stories from very early in, in the life of Catching Dream that, that I'll never forget. Um, by the way, that outfitter has the same birthday that I have. So we talk about every year on, on August 24th. And he still recounts that story of the miracle. Quite, quite an amazing thing. Wow. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to share, if, if we have time, Absolutely. this one is, is fairly brief. Uh, one of the biggest lessons that I ever learned in, in the woods happened on another Catch-A-Dream hunt with this same outfitter who was Joe's outfitter, a guy named Bill Roller. Uh, Bill, Bill was quite an outfitter. And uh, we grew to trust him to be able to put children on deer. And we had a, a boy from Iowa uh, who was, I think, 17 years old at the time, big kid, football player who had, who had come down with a brain tumor and no longer able to play ball and paralyzed on one side. And we had him in the deer blind one day at Bill's place. And um, his name was Tyler. And Tyler shot this monster, Missouri Monarch, at about 80 yards. And it fell in his track, stone cold dead. So we were celebrating in the blind with Tyler and his dad and his mom was with us and the deer laying literally dead in the field. And we all got out of the blind to go over and take the hero shots. And on the way over to this dead deer, the deer stood up and looked at us and ran off. Oh no. And you know, we're looking at each other like, Oh my gosh, what's happened here. And, and that deer was never found again. You know, wow. later thinking back through it, I think he shot him high in the shoulder, uh, you know, paralyzed him for a little while and, and deer got up and was never recovered. So Tyler's hunt was just totally ruined that afternoon. And uh, Bill had a, a policy at his ranch that, you know, if you, if you shoot an animal, if you wound it, that's your, that's your trophy. Well, that had been his policy until that day, but, uh, and that was a commercial operation, by the way, but Bill changed his policy and he came in that night and said, you know, Marty, we're going to go back tomorrow and Tyler's going to have another chance. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, of course, that made Tyler's day. So the next afternoon, we're sitting in the blind, and it's the last day of the hunt, as it always seems to be, going down to the last hour. And uh, we'd been in the blind for two hours and had not seen a single antler deer. And it's it's getting close to dark, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, you know, Lord, this, this needs to happen because Tyler's got to fly back to Iowa tomorrow. I said, Lord, please make it happen. Please make it happen. And I look over at Bill Roller, he's sitting in the corner of the blind, and, and he has a tear rolling down his cheek. And I look at him, I'm thinking, okay, now Bill Roller's always produced for us. What's he telling me with this tear? Well, what he's telling me with that tear is he doesn't think it's going to happen. In fact, I looked at him, caught his eye, and I don't think Tyler or his dad saw what's going on. 
he just shook his head at no to me, like, Marty, I don't think it's going to happen. It's late and it's not going to happen. And boy, my heart sank. And, and I know Bill was crying literally inside and outside. And it was as if this voice just literally spoke to me out loud. There was no audible voice, but I will tell you, I heard it. And this voice said, Marty, who are you trusting this afternoon? Bill Roller or me? Well, you know, the Lord's trying to tell me something. And, and I didn't reply out loud, but in my heart and in my mind, I just said, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting Bill. He's never, never failed us. And God right there told me, he says, you know, you're trusting the wrong person. Never, ever, never trust people with things that they don't control. Mm. Marty, put your trust in me. And I will amaze you. I will show you things that you'll never believe. So I, I just prayed a little prayer right there. I said, God, you know, I've made a mistake. I said, we trusted Bill yesterday and didn't get it done. I'm trusting him today. It's not done. Lord, I realize neither Bill or I can handle this, but I'm going to trust you to do whatever is in your will. And I, and I promise you, it wasn't 30 seconds. I looked over my left shoulder up a hill and I see this, big set of antlers coming down this ridge down into that field. And within three minutes, there's a big whitetail dead out in front of us. Tyler had consummated his hunt. Wow. And, and I look at Bill Roller and he looks at me and, and I know what's happened. Nobody else does, but I was able to share that with Tyler and his family and then with Bill Roller. And I've shared this with a lot of people, a lot of audiences where I've had a chance to speak to groups of people to simply say this, the Lord taught me that day, and I try to remember even today, something I said early in this program, he's in control. Mm. And all we have to do is allow him, allow him to do his work for us, and he'll do it. You know, he promised us that, you know, greater things than these, Jesus said, you'll see such that you'll be amazed or that you will marvel. And boy, I have marveled a lot at what God can do. And, you know, and as, as we look around, in the context of where you and I sit right now today, Travis, in our country, you know, our political situation, our cultural situation, our medical situation with COVID, you know, I'm not sure any of us are encouraged, yeah. but I think we can all take great courage because there's one truth that I can tell you today that I'm convinced of God's still in control. And if we just allow him to stay in control and we trust and honor him, uh, he'll still show us things that, that will amaze us and we will marvel at what he can do. So, you know, this whole thing called catch a dream and being in the outdoors, just hunting and fishing my whole life has taught me that, uh, Hey, I, I'm, I'm just a speck, yeah. but I'm a speck that can have faith. And if I have faith, then uh, mountains will get moved. It may not be me, but mountains will get moved. And, and, and that's the message I guess I'd leave with you, Travis, as we look toward closing and, and with your audience, yeah. Uh, just don't lose faith. You know, yeah. Step aside and let God be God. Well, Marty, uh, I the world will tell us you know, that old adage. Don't do, don't just stand there, do something. Yeah. That's wrong. God tells us don't do something right now. Just stand there. <laughs> let me step in. You know, uh, don't do something. Just stand there, be still and know that I'm God. So uh, that, that's kind of the way I try to approach every day these days. I, I love that. I really do. Um, I had a daughter with special needs guys that have listened to this podcast know that. And uh, when she was first born, I, there were so many people that wanted to, uh, you know, know what was going on. I had worked at two different churches. So I had my home church and then the two churches I worked at my wife's church and a bunch of people, friends wanting updates. And it was just daunting. So I started a blog, um, in her name and trying to just update people. And at the end of it, just something that I wrote the very first one is that God is good. And that just became something that I, I made myself write it at the end of every single one of those ones, even on the days whenever I, I, I was struggling because I, I believe that. And I, I think it, that's the foundational thing that pushes on us. Do we trust him? Do we believe that he is good despite the circumstances? And, um, and I still believe that, you know, uh, she was here five years and she's now home with him and, and God is still good. God is still good to me and has been very good. And I, and I think that's just testament of what, uh, I'm very encouraged today by the hope that you guys are providing for these, these children and their families out there and just the deep impact that is not, and, and it's just showing them a little piece that God is in fact good. 
God, God is certainly good. And, and I've told folks a lot of times when we, when we quote unquote started Catch a Dream, and I really can't take credit that we started it, God started it. But when Catch a Dream first came into existence, uh, we had a vision, but our vision was about an inch tall. You know, our vision was to serve children and families somewhere close to us right here in Mississippi. Uh, but as I've shared with a lot of people, you know, when God gives you a vision, it's going to always be far, far bigger than any vision you could ever have. And that's what's happened with Catch a Dream with this whole ministry that we have. It's become so much bigger, so so exponentially bigger than, than we could have ever dreamed up front. That it's just, again, amazing. And we marvel each and every day. But that's what he does with everything he does. He, God doesn't work in small ways. He works always in big ways. Yeah. We can only see the little things, you know, one little thing at a time. But uh, we just need to stand aside and let him, let him do what he does. Look at what he's done in your life and, and the vision he's now given you. Uh, there, there's still hope, and, and that hope is eternal. That's good. Well, Dr. Marty, I know that you, I mean, you seem like a very selfless guy and I know that you tell these stories and you tell them, but would you have time to tell one of your personal stories? I don't know that I assume that you probably tell a lot of these and you don't ever get to tell just a story that means something to you personally, where you got to go out and enjoy a hunt. Do you have time for just one more? Well, yeah, I do. It's kind of hard to you know, it's almost embarrassing to share one of my stories after sharing these catching room stories, but I don't really have any of those, those miracle stories, but I've had a lot of neat adventures and, and I've had the privilege to, to be in the woods a lot, although I've never, I've never killed a Boone and Crockett deer. I never killed a trophy animal and never really hunted around the world. But, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories, I'll go back to the squirrel hunting thing. Uh, I have a very dear friend who was a professor in wildlife and fisheries with me for a long time. And by the way, I'm, I'm a fisheries person I, my, my degrees are all in fisheries and, and he was a fishery scientist on our staff and and for many years in in mid-december he and i would travel about four hours from mississippi state down to the mississippi river to a place just south of vicksburg uh, it's actually an island called davis island and uh, it's a very dear friend of ours uh, was one of the principals of a club on that island and he would invite us down and we had two jobs when we would go down. One of those is to look at a couple of the lakes on the island and give them some advice on managing their lakes. And the other is to kill as many squirrels as we could kill. <laughs> and, and at Davis Island, this is a, this is a beautiful bottomland uh, hardwood, uh, 8,000 acres right in the middle of the Mississippi River. Uh, they only have fox squirrels. They don't have gray squirrels or fox squirrels. And about one out of eight is black. So, you know, we always enjoyed going down there and squirrel hunting. And I remember one morning, Don and I went out early uh, before daylight and, and, you know, we'd go to a spot, park the four-wheeler, and we'd go different directions. Don went south and I went kind of northeast up a draw there on, on the island next to what's called a sand field, a bunch of live oak trees uh, that I had killed a bunch of squirrels at before. And I sat for and moved around a little bit for two hours and didn't see a single squirrel. And about 8.30, our, our time to meet, I was walking out and uh, I saw Don approaching me from the south and, and, you know, he waved and I waved to make sure we saw each other. And about the time I saw him, I saw a squirrel up, up in a big uh, wild pecan tree and I stalked over and I, I shot that squirrel with my 22 rifle. And when I shot that squirrel, the woods came alive. Literally, there's squirrels everywhere. And uh, I stood in one spot and in about less than 10 minutes i shot seven more squirrels without moving oh a muscle other than moving my gun around and making sure i had the right shot and it was just kind of raining squirrels and what i didn't know is in the midst of all that uh, don had been slipping on up so don was literally right out there kind of underneath where all those squirrels were falling watching what happened and uh, so I went over and started picking my squirrels up and he stepped out behind a tree and, and startled me. And he said, man, I just watched a miracle. I said, what'd you watch? He said, he said, I watched you shoot eight squirrels in 10 minutes. He said, how many more have you shot this morning? I said, Don, I haven't seen one this morning. And by the way, the limit was eight. So I, I'd reached my limit. He said, I've never seen anything like this. I said, you know, I've never had this kind of an experience either. Uh, and it was nothing miraculous. What had happened is it was right next to a swamp and, and literally those squirrels woke up late and fox squirrels move late anyway, usually. And they all started pouring out of that swamp into that grove of wild pecans. And it was just a magical moment. 
you know, these hundred year old wild pecans on an island in the Mississippi River. One of my best friends, Don Jackson, and I having that experience, not just that I got to, to harvest a limit of squirrels in such a short time with a 22 rifle, but that a very good friend of mine was sitting literally under the stump of a tree secretly watching what was going on. It's almost like I had this thing videotaped. It was just <laughs> quite a marvelous and amazing experience. And, you know, and, and I thought about that a lot of times and that's why God gave us hunting and fishing. He gave us hunting and fishing, not so we can go out and kill everything in the woods or catch everything in the lake, but so that he can show us the beauties of his creation. He can give us these very magical moments that, you know, for a lot of folks listening to this podcast today, harvesting unlimited squirrels on Davis Island, Mississippi may not mean much, but to me, boy, that's one of my most cherished possessions of of my life is, is that whole experience. And by the way, three of those eight were solid black fox squirrels, just beautiful animals and about one out of eight down there or black. It's kind of a neat experience. So, I may never get to go to Davis Island again, but I've been there a few times and and I have those memories and I'm looking on the wall here in my office and I see a fox squirrel hanging on the wall. Uh, came <laughs> uh, from Davis Island. So that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that with us. Really appreciate that. Well, yes, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, Dr. Marty Brunson, thank you so much for your time today and the stories. Also, thank you for what you do with that foundation. I'd encourage guys to check that out and uh, it's something I'll definitely be doing and um, really appreciate you ta- your time today and sharing those, not not just the stories, but also the, the backstory behind what the Lord is doing and just appreciate the work that you do. Okay. Well, thank you, Travis. God bless you. Appreciate your testimony and to all your listeners out there. Thank you all for your patience and, uh, and hope that you enjoy the outdoors and, and remember who created those outdoors for us to enjoy. Mm, thank you very much. I so appreciate Dr. Brunson coming on and sharing those those stories. Um, he, just such a nice guy. I mean, I tell you, through that, I, I started calling him Marty at one point. I realized, hey, this guy's got his doctorate. I probably ought to call him Dr. Marty or Dr. Brunson because he's, you know, he's a smart guy, but he's so down to earth. And you can hear his heart, how he cares for these kids. And I tell you, that just I don't, if that doesn't move you, I don't know what does. Hearing these kids get excited. That's something to support. There's so many things. I don't know about you, but sometimes we, I don't know if you're going through the the um, cashier line and they ask you, do you want to support St. Jude's? Do you want to support this? There's so many people asking for money. I appreciate Dr. Marty didn't ask. It's just something that kind of came up. Um, but I tell you what, guys, that's something for you to think about supporting. Um, that's something I think worthwhile, taking kids out, giving them that opportunity, and then at the same time trying to give them some hope and help them to understand the story behind creation, giving them hope for afterlife. Um, man, I, I can't think of too many things bigger than that. And I talked to my wife last night, and we uh, weren't able to give a lot, but we, we support that ministry. And um, I don't say that to brag. I just tell you um, support requires action. You can say that you support something, but supporting something requires some sort of dedication to it. So I'll leave that for you guys to consider, to think about. You can go over to catchadream.org, find out more information about that. I want to thank you guys for coming back for another week. I so, I so appreciate your support, kind emails, reviews, things that you guys do, and just sharing this. Um, I just can't thank you enough for that. Uh, that said, we're going to wrap things up. I hope that you'll come back next week for another great episode. And until then, remember to shed the light.